Thank you for tuning in to The Way Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to showcase the way that God wants us to live by looking at what is written in His Word. The Bible says God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is That Way. Here is your host, Houston Welch. The Way Podcast, Season 2, Episode 14, The Temple, A Shadow of the Church. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Houston Welch, and today we're going to be continuing our discussion of shadows, um, things which we read about in the New Testament, which um, we also read about in the Old Testament, but rather than uh, them being uh, particularly or specifically uh, for the Old Testament and only for the Old Testament, they are rather uh, shadows uh, of something which we read about in the New Testament. It's it's a symbol of what is to come. And so continuing our discussion of, of these shadows, we're going to look at the temple. So I'm going to discuss a little bit of what the temple uh, or temples were uh, and how how they are, are shadows. But the first thing that we need to do is look that look at the temple as a shadow. Does scripture back it up that the temple was a shadow or did the temple have just the physical purpose that it was just the physical um, place where God would dwell on the earth? Well, uh, I want us to look at a couple of of passages, Um, one being in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, whenever the Hebrews writer is speaking of the superiority of Jesus as our high priest, he says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. So he's talking about the physical, literal temple, which, notice he says, are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God uh, for us. And then also, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So the Hebrews writer states blatantly that the temple where uh, the, the temple um, where the priest ministered, where the high priest um, ministered, it was but a figure of something greater to come. It was a shadow of something greater to come, uh, which as the Hebrew writer says, of the true, Jesus entered into heaven itself. But now also, Paul says, according to 1 Corinthians 3, that we, that the Corinthians, but we uh, as a whole, the church as a whole, are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. Now we can also look at Revelation uh, chapter 21 but we're going to look at that uh, later. I want us to look at two more passages. John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. uh, Jesus says, uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And then the Jewish leaders who heard him at the time, they kind of mocked him and questioned, uh, this temple took 46 years to build. 
and you're going to raise it up in three days, you're going to, first of all, you're going to tear it down, and then you're going to raise it up in three days. And then John uh, clarified for us, the readers, that Jesus was not talking about the temple, but that he was talking about his own body. So Jesus called his body the temple. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, uh, Paul tells the Ephesians that he has given him to be head, that God has given Jesus to be head over all things to the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So Jesus' body is the church. Jesus said that his body was the temple. Now all of this is of course metaphorical, but it it's just to show us that the temple, the Old Testament temple, which we're going to notice there was actually uh, two, uh, you could say, and a half, and then another one that wasn't built, but two temples, they both symbolize the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ. So, you notice I said that there were two temples. And I also said that you could say that there were two and a half. The reason I say that, okay, so the first temple, the very first temple, you had the tabernacle, and then you had the temple which was built. The temple which Solomon built around 960 uh, B.C. was in similar fashion to the, the tabernacle, just a much more uh, extravagant, a uh, lot of gold inlay and, and et cetera, et cetera. Then... Uh, whenever the uh, Jews, uh, whenever the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken into Babylonian captivity, so now all of Israel is in captivity, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. So whenever the Jews were released from captivity, according to King Cyrus, after the Persians conquered Babylon, then they had no temple back in Jerusalem. So Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, along with Ezra and a bunch of other uh, men, rebuilt the temple. Now how long exactly it took them to build this temple, we don't know. But then around 37 B.C., Herod the Great, the, the then um, Herod, the first Herod, I believe it was, reconstructed the temple said that he doubled it in size from the temple that Zerubbabel and his company had, had erected. So there, there's two temples, though one was reconstructed, doubled in size. That's the reason I say maybe two and a half temples. But then we read about a third temple. Ezekiel mentions a temple from uh, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. He gives description of this temple. This temple was never built. And I believe that there was a reason why this temple was never built. Because God told Ezekiel to, to show the pattern of it to the Jews. And if they are ashamed of what they have done, if they are essentially, if they are penitent, if they are ready to repent, then they can build this temple but they weren't ready. They weren't penitent. So I believe that that was the, the primary reason as to why that temple was not built. 
And whenever we read, uh, whenever we come to Zechariah, Zechariah was uh, during the time, he was actually one of the individuals who helped build this second temple whenever they were uh, allowed or permitted to go back into the, to the promised land, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Zechariah was one of them, Zechariah the prophet. And Zechariah, in Zechariah 6, he mentions, this is written after the second temple, which he helped with. After it was built, Zechariah says, uh, verse, Zechariah 6, verse 9, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Take of them of the, ca- of the captivity, Heldiah, and he mentions a few other men, uh, which are come from Babylon, and they, they came with you in the same day. Go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Uh, take uh, certain precious metals and, and crowns. And set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, The man whose name is this, the branch, he shall grow up out of this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, shall sit and rule upon his throne, shall be priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now notice he said he sets it upon the head of Joshua, the son of the high priest. Jesus' name was Joshua. Zechariah is prophesying here about Jesus being the true high priest. He was going to be a king upon his throne. The reason why Zephaniah, why God told Zechariah to set the crown and and the gold and silver and make crowns and set the crown upon Joshua to symbolize Jesus. And he says that this individual is going to build the temple. I believe this is the temple that Ezekiel wrote of. And whenever you read Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, there isn't so much emphasis on the pattern exactly like there was the tabernacle and the temple of how precise it was to be built, but rather the emphasis, if you read throughout there, was on the purity of the priest that would be partaking in the services of the temple. So those who would be priests were to be pure. And we know that this wasn't the case for uh, throughout the generations of the children of Israel because there was so much corruption in the priesthood. But the priest of the new temple, the temple which uh, the Uh, the king that would be a priest upon his throne would build, they were to be pure and holy. This is the temple which Jesus would build. This is the church. And we know, according to Peter, we are a holy or a royal priesthood. So now, let's look at um, the figures and the time that we have left there's a lot of aspects and there's a lot of detail that went into the tabernacle and translated over to the temple. There are some key features which had to be included. And these are the features which we're going to mention. So the first representative or the first uh, shadow is that the temple was known to be the physical dwelling of God. Revelation chapter 21 Uh, regardless of how uh, anybody interprets Revelation and how they interpret Revelation 21, Revelation 21 and verse 3 gives us some insight as to what 
um, the temple or the tabernacle of God represented. Revelation 21 and verse 3, John, he heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So the tent of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So he says, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. The tabernacle, or the temple of God, it could be said is the house of God. It is the dwelling of God. It is where God resides in this present world. It is the, the home of God, so to speak. So that's the spiritual significance of the temple of God boiled down is that it is where God dwells. Now we say that the temple is a shadow of the church. So logically, the church is where God dwells. It's also one of the reasons why whenever Paul was writing to Timothy, he says uh, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, it is the place where God resides. So some of the features now, if we were to try to paint a picture, uh, a word picture of the tabernacle or the temple, then we would have to go to Exodus, essentially read the entirety of the latter part of Exodus where God goes into full uh, description of what the tabernacle was to be. And we don't have the time for that, and frankly, it's not necessary. What is necessary is to mention a few of the key features. The first one to mention would be the gate. There was an entry into the court of the temple, the court of the tabernacle. Inside the court was the um, altar. Uh, also, the labor and the majority of the priest uh, did service there. The gate into the temple. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. John 10 and verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus is the gate. He is the way. And if you want to enter into the holy place, if you want to enter into the temple, if you want to be where God resides, You've got to enter in through or by Jesus. There is no other way. He is the way. Then you have the altar. The altar is where the sacrifices were made. Uh, bulls, goats, lambs, sheep, etc. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Then we come to the, the labor. Essentially a, a pool. A bath. This symbolizes baptism. So we come to the Father by Jesus. Jesus is the door. The sacrifice has been made, but we have to cleanse ourselves. And God has prescribed baptism as a means of cleansing ourselves. Now, like Peter explains, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. We're not literally cleansing our bodies, but it is the answer of a good conscience towards God. If you have a good conscience towards God, you're going to be baptized. 
if you refuse to be baptized or you argue that baptism is essential for salvation, your conscience is not clean. Then we have the garments. Several places throughout Scripture, including the Psalms, Revelation, the New Testament authors, mention uh, garments as a symbol of righteousness. John, in the Revelation, he says that... uh, uh, he mentions the, the, the white robes, and it symbolized the righteousness of the saints. So the garments which the priests were to wear, I believe, symbolize new life. The sacrifice has been made. You're coming to the Father by Jesus. You are baptized to put a, uh, to, to, as, a answer, as an answer of your clean conscience. Now you live a new life. You put on new garments. You are now clean, and you are living so. Now there's a first veil entering into the temple itself. There's two veils. Uh, This is one of the things which, quite frankly and honestly, I was not entirely aware of before beginning this study, that there were, in fact, two veils. One was entering into the holy place of the temple, and then, as you know, there were two chambers of the temple itself. There, were the whole, there was the holy place and the holiest of holies. And thus, there were two veils um, separating from the court to the holy place, the holy place to the holiest of holies. As we're going to discuss uh, what I believe the second veil to represent, uh, the first veil, I believe, represents um, the thin fabric which separates the world from the holy place, from the temple itself. And there is but a thin fabric there. Paul says that we cannot come out of the world. We're not to be of the world, but we can't entirely come out of the world in this present time. Now, continuing into the holy place, You have the showbread, you have the uh, candlestick, you have the altar of incense. The showbread, as we are, uh, as we learn about in the New Testament, is symbolic of the Word of God. But there's one key feature of it is that it was to be unleavened, and leaven always represents something that is impure, adulterated, not adultery in the most literal sense, but in the the more generic sense of the term, uh, impure. The Word of God in its purity, the unadulterated, pure Word of God. Then you have the candlestick, which was in the temple as well, in the holy place. What exactly this represents? Frankly, I have no clue, but I know that the candlestick sheds light. So whatever it is emits light, or it sheds light. Then you have the altar of incense. Revelation chapter 5 gives us an explanation as to what the altar of incense represents. Revelation 5 and verse 8, John says that uh, there were four beasts, 24 elders, uh, fell down before the Lamb, before Jesus, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors or full of incense. Notice he says, which are the prayers of the saints. So the altar of incense represents 
the prayers of the saints. So, in the temple of God exists the prayers of the saints. Now, there's some, there's some beauty here in what the altar or what our prayers mean to God. There are a lot of people who use um, essential oils, and I think that that would be a good metaphor or a good symbol as to what our um, prayers are to God or what they mean to God. There are some people who don't like them. They don't like the smell. But almost everybody has a certain scent which is pleasing to them. When you think of that scent, the greatest smell that you've ever experienced, that you've ever smelled, that is what a good prayer is to God. Now, another, uh, looking further into the temple, we have the second veil. We're told in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke that the veil of the temple was rent in two upon Jesus' death. We know that this symbolizes that we can now enter into the holiest of holies. That there is no longer a separation uh, between God and man, but that we can come to him now, and we can be pleasing to God, that our worship can truly be acceptable to God. I believe this, this second veil it represents the thin piece of fabric separating heaven, the holiest of holies, from humanity. Jesus tore it down. He did away with it. So now, heaven can touch humanity. That God and man can be reconciled that there's no longer a separation or that there needs to be a separation between the two. But through Jesus, we can have true reconciliation. Then once you enter into the holiest of holies, where God truly resides, which is the symbol of heaven, you have the Ark of the Covenant, you have the cherubim, and then you have the, the mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, were the tabernacle, the, the two um, tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, the, the the manna from heaven, and Aaron's rod. And uh, for reason of time, we can't discuss uh, those any further. But I want to give, um, what does this mean? What does the the temple being a shadow of the church, the true kingdom of God? What does that mean for Christians today? What does that mean for people today? The first place, I want to offer three things. In the first place, the temple is a place of worship. It's where you worship God. This implies two things. The first being that if you are a part of the church, you worship God. It is the place where God is glorified, where God can be worshipped. But also it implies in the second place that only in the church can God truly be worshipped. That only the church offers true and acceptable worship to God. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 21, 
Paul says, now unto him be glory in the church. The church is the place where God is glorified. The second place, the temple is a place of holiness. It's entirely different from any other physical structure. It's, enti- it's an entirely different place. The church is to be holy. God says, be holy for I am holy. We are to be different from the rest of the world. We're not to be like anything of the world. And then in the third place, the temple is a place of sacrifice. Sacrifices are to be made in the church. Now, one of the last things I want us to discuss is that whenever you when you look at pictures of the temple, and yes, um, everything was, was overlaid with, with gold, and it was uh, truly extravagant, uh, the grandeur of the temple is is incomparable. But there are a lot of other physical structures which have been made by man, which are beautiful and extravagant, much detail involved. The point of it all, with the temple being but a shadow of the church, Yes, it is the dwelling place of God, but only because the church is the dwelling place of God. It symbolizes that. And all of the detail went into it to show the beauty of the church. I appreciate you for tuning in to the Way Podcast. Uh, We do um, have other podcasts alongside uh, this one, some sistering podcasts under the umbrella of Scattered Abroad. Uh, Be sure to go check a few of those out. You might tune in to the Far Better podcast, maybe the Everyday Christian podcast, and along with many other wonderful podcasts, diving into the Word of God. If you stayed tuned in uh, this long, you believe that this would be an edifying uh, study or discussion for somebody you may know, please share it with them. Um, If you need to reach out to us, all of our information is in the description down below the episode. We do appreciate you, and we love you. And have a good day.